0: All right, welcome and thank you for joining us here at We The Scenario. I'm your host for this special occasion this evening, Sir Tony Siona. Tonight we have the pleasure of having a very talented and influential guest, hailing from sunny Southern California, a community organizer and outreach specialist, a reproductive justice organizer for California Latinas for Repub- Reproductive Justice, Excuse me, representing STOP, which is the acronym for Stop Terror and Oppression by Police Coalition. Please join me in welcoming San Diego State University's very own, Ms. Rocio Zamora. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you for having me. Oh, man, we appreciate you taking out the time to be with us. So now, to get started, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and what inspired you to join us on today's show. Yeah.
1: So my name is Rocio. I uh, use she, her pronouns. I am a community organizer. I organize alongside families of police violence victims as a part of the STOP Coalition, which is a statewide coalition of families who lost someone to police violence. We are working on statewide legislation, such as removing the badges of abusive cops, supporting alternatives to policing and demilitarizing the police. We are also a general network of support for other families um, to support them through the I am also currently a state policy fellow for the Women's Policy Institute from the Women's Foundation of California. And I'm working on creating um, a bill legislation around public safety and also learning more about policy creation at the statewide level. I'm an educator, I work with, you know, as you said, on the university, I work in higher ed, and I work to create educational equity and expand college access and inclusion of marginalized communities in higher ed. And I'm my free time, I'm an artist. I like to do the digital illustration, poetry writing, video editing. Um, I think what inspired me to be in the show was um, Ro is my close friend, <laughs> so I wanted to support Ro and the podcast that they're a part of. And I'm also at a point where I'm being more intentional about reclaiming my story and sharing it through my perspective. And I definitely believe in giving back to the youth, um, giving back to our community. So
0: this Wow, sounds like you got a lot on your shoulders there. That that, that was a lot, and that's pat yourself on the back, (laughs) snaps in the air for you there. So to keep this moving, uh, where did you grow up, and what was it like going through school in that area?
1: Yeah, so I'm from Oceanside, which is North County, San Diego, throwing up the (laughs) O, Um, So, you know, Oceanside is a beautiful place. I got it the city of the O, where the palm trees grow. Um, Really, literally um, very diverse um, by the ocean and very diverse. So there's a lot of communities of color um, and there was also a lot of poverty growing up. So the neighborhoods that I lived in in Oceanside did experience a lot of poverty. I lived in areas where there were gang injunctions in place. Uh, So I saw a lot of my peers, my neighbors, relatives get caged in juvenile hall, get stopped and frisked, deported, overall just facing numerous challenges from being criminalized from for being black or brown or in poverty or both. I myself come from a family of immigrants. I grew up very low income in overcrowded housing where we struggled to just get by each day. I graduated from Oceanside High School and we only had a handful of people, of graduates that got accepted into a university. I was one of the very few who did get accepted. Um, We didn't have a college going culture. It was, um, our school was mostly low income students of color. There were low expectations of us. There were not enough of us were encouraged and supported to get to college. So when I got to college, I was amazed at all the opportunities and doors that were opening up to me, um, such as traveling, getting involved with policy, taking classes that I actually enjoyed and liked and learned about myself, um, and most importantly, um, feeling like a sense of security and hope that my future was going to be better. And I remember being in college wishing that more of my friends and family could been there with me and could have also been experiencing that and you know I was a even as a freshman in college I was writing letters to my friends in juvenile hall we were in very different places and once I began to take more classes I began to understand that you know our educational system our society at large is designed so that only a few of us can succeed and that the hardships I experienced as a youth were actually injustices created by design. And because they were also created, they could also be dismantled and we can create something better. So that's what drives me. I want to dismantle the policies and practices that criminalize and that harm marginalized communities. And I want to work to create better living conditions.
0: Wow. Yeah, that that drives me to ask this question. if you had this knowledge, you can go back, would you? And give it to your, give it to your younger self or give it to the younger versions of your family. Would you take this information with you and try to reinstill it then? I'm always playing with time. So, you know, I always think about like what time can do. So it's just like, what would you do with that time if you did have a chance to go back?
1: Yeah, I, I think if I had that knowledge that I gained as an older, like, college student and, and I could go back in my teenage years as a youth and tell myself, yes, because I think it would make sense of my reality. And, you know, as a youth, a lot of these injustices and hardships that we experience, they lead us to, you know, being angry, being sad, being depressed, like all of these emotions and that we don't know because we're, we we can't make sense of the world. So, once we're able to get that language and that history that helps us understand that, you know, it's not us, we're not the problem, it's not hopeless, like we can, there we have agency and we can create better conditions, it's empowering. And yeah, I, I would have definitely had that because I would have been a more empowered youth. I was I was quiet, I, I was afraid a lot of times and I was angry, I was really angry.
0: Yeah, Oceanside High was not, what I thought it would be uh being from Oakland and only being 22 years old uh I still had that young mentality when I was down there Mm -hmm. and it was no matter what poverty is everywhere yeah And I I felt that as soon as I moved down there I was like well this is not a far stretch from where I'm from in Oakland so Mm -hmm. so we guys are going through the same problem so saying that While you were young, did you have a mentor in that school and uh, did they help guide you as a young person?
1: Not really. I had the only guidance I really got was through my AVID class. And even then, AVID, you know, it's, it's I think it's mostly in Southern California, but it's a college prep class. And you have, to inter- you have to be selected to get interviewed to be in the college prep class, to get access on information on how to get to college. And so I was one of the few students that got selected to be a part of that. And that's where I got the guidance, but I didn't have other guidance in other issues outside of how to get to college. So definitely I wish I would have had more mentors as a youth. Even now, as a first-generation professional, I'm still, you know, navigating those spaces, and I'm finally getting some mentorship. But I, I didn't have it at all, and I, I, think a lot of us, like a lot of my peers, did not have it either, and that's, you know, that definitely did not help us.
0: All right. Are you uh, working with Oceanside High now? Is that part of your, you know, curriculum, or what? What's you pushing out there?
1: So sometimes I, I, so I do college outreach in different parts of San Diego County, and sometimes there have been schools in Oceanside that have requested us, and we'll do a presentation, talk to their youth, sort of guide them through the steps. Um, but I do it through the university. I have done, I have worked in Oceanside again um, after I graduated college. I had another job at a nonprofit, and so I would run after-school programs, um, girl empowerment workshops with a lot of youth in Oceanside and a lot of them work from Oceanside High School
0: as well. Wow. Okay. Now we're going to dig into you now because I've been wondering what STOP was. So uh, can you tell us what is the STOP Coalition and how did you get involved with the organization?
1: Yeah. So the STOP Coalition is very grassroots, uh, a coalition of families who lost someone to police violence. You know, it's not a nonprofit. It has very limited funding. We are really just families who banded together from across the state. Um, this was created after the the passing of AB 392, which got signed um into law in 2019. And so it became effective 20 2020. Um, And what that law did was that it changed the standard of use of force for policing and made it so that um, the police are only allowed to use deadly force if there are no other options available. And that legislation was led by a lot of impacted families and a lot of them joined after that to build that coalition and to continue that support. And so, right, I joined in, 2020, actually in the beginning of 2020. And I joined because in 2017, a San Diego sheriff shot my cousin 16 times in the back. And this was one of the cousins that I lived with in Oceanside um, as a youth. And his name was Jonathan Coronel. So after his murder, um, his family, jumped into action and just began organizing protests, speaking at press conferences, traveling to Sacramento to speak to, to attorney general. They joined other families who had also um, locally in San Diego um, experienced like that, that type of police terror. They filed the lawsuits um, and, and I supported them. You know, They did everything in their capacity to demand justice. I supported them as well in what I could do in my capacity. And we organized for almost three years during our grieving process, during the act of being, you know, experiencing such a traumatic and hurtful um, experience that a lot of black and brown communities have faced um, throughout this nation for hundreds of years. so, you know, I, I come from an organizing background. What helped me was that in college, I was a student activist. Um, after college, I joined an organization called California Latinas for Reproductive Justice. And we had a, a San Diego chapter. And, you know, this, this was also fitting within that framework of reproductive justice because, you know, in reproductive justice, mothers have the right, people, people have the right to parent, right, without the fear that their loved, ones that their child will be stolen at the hands of the police. Um, And so, you know, um, this FEDA and I had other skills and connections that could help me with that. But a part of the organizing process is building relationships and coalitions with people. And so I began to get even more intentional about reaching other organizations for support. And I found out that the Youth Justice Coalition in Los Angeles was hosting a transformative justice training by an abolitionist called Maryam Kaba, And that got my intention because, you know, after going almost, it's almost two and a half years since my cousin was murdered and still organizing, um, I I wanted to bring in abolitionist values and perspectives into the organizing that I was doing with with the families, and so I applied to be a part of the training, and that's where I met my friend Ellie, who um, works for the Youth Justice Coalition, and they also are the fiscal sponsor of the STOP Coalition. So she told me about Stop Coalition, her cousin um, Junior was also killed when he was like 13, 16 years old in Santa Ana. Um, And she told me about this network and that they were working on legislation to remove the badges of police officers that had um, committed series of killings. And the police officer who murdered my cousin, um, his name is Christopher Villanueva, he actually shot, he murdered somebody else just 11 months before that, um, Sergio Wick. He shot him 28 times, and so, you know, both of our families have been working together, um, and you know, definitely connecting with other families has been really important because you know nobody's going to fight as hard as as the families, um, and so with the Stop Coalition, we you know we meet almost weekly. And um, we're working on different bills, but also just supporting each other through through that process.
0: Okay, let, I'm just gonna run past the 16, 28 shots. At what point, I'm sorry. No, that's off, good, it's,
1: good yeah. it's good to take a pause. It's gonna take a pause and I think I've spoken about it so many times. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's still hurtful. I just, I've learned how to be in control of my emotions, but it, it's worth to take a pause because it, it's outrageous. And, like, our our lives stop. Like, it, it's not, you know, this is happening every day, very close to us in our neighborhoods, and it's happening in atrocious, vicious manners. I, you know, I, I stood with that that fact that, like, somebody who was my chambelan for my quinceanera, who I spent Christmases with, who I lived with. I was writing letters to him when I was in college. We were like, I was only a few months older than him. And to know that someone, that he was tortured to death and left on the floor for hours to die, like that, that sits with me. Um, There's no
0: feeling there. Yeah, there's, as a person, a human being, like, why did you take the badge? I think that's my biggest question. If you going to be a scary, mark ass, excuse me, you know what I mean? Like, th- there's no reason to get in this profession. Um, like I said earlier, like, there's no reason for court systems. What's the point? What's the point of having a justice system if our peace officers are judge, jury, and executioner? Yeah. They already in the entire government rack when they're on the streets. So it's defunding the police is one thing. Finding an entire new system to stop the systematic slave system already set up, Mm -hmm. that's almost near impossible. And- and... (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. I
1: (laughs) I think it's possible because a lot of us, you know, our communities
0: of color, communities
1: that have been harmed by policing, We have had other ways where we had to solve our problems without policing and we just need to find like healthy ways and community driven ways to solve to respond to conflict and. You know that's also why some of the legislation that we're working on is really important, like the Crisis Act right that's one of um, right now it's AB 118 and hopefully it passes this year, but if the crisis act passes, it would fund up to $250,000 for organizations to respond to crises crises instead of the police. So to respond to public health crisis, people experiencing homelessness, mental health crisis, intimate partner violence, community violence, substance abuse, all of these um, issues that the police, do not prevent police respond to crime and a lot of things these these are issues of abuse or they don't be they shouldn't be criminalized people need help right this is issue of lack of housing lack of affordable lack of living wages being in poverty like those are the root causes that we need to address and so legislation such as the crisis act would make it so that instead of the police armed people responding it's professionals like counselors, social workers, people who are equipped and, you know, are not operating under that history that you said of like policing was created as an extension of slavery and the prison industrial complex. So we need to stop being rooted in that. And there are other ways.
0: Anya, you had something to say?
2: Oh, um,
0: I kind of forgot
2: a little bit, but I think, (laughs) because. I was about to say something Um, when you guys were discussing just pretty much like the why they go into this field. Right. Why do you want this badge? You know, but a lot of them, they do this because they they are racist and they know that they can do this job and get away with it. Like that's if that's what they have shown us, that they can kill thousands, literally, because I just saw something where it said they killed, I think, from. Two thousand and five. It's been sixteen thousand like yeah. murders by the police, and only five convictions. You know, so they yeah. know that they can join this, and that it'll be okay. And so, and I spoke on this earlier earlier in the podcast um today that we need to find a different way. We should be calling different people to handle mentally disabled people, not the police, you know, like that they're in charge of everything. They get called for every single thing. So it, we do, like you said, it is kind of impossible though. Like it, it just really, it's hard.
0: It's politics to me, it feels, you know, and as long as politics are involved, like I said, man, pay these politicians minimum wage and watch how this world change. You know what I mean? Pay these big, big, these big shots, give them, give them a small check, bring that check down and see how, how fast these bills pass.
2: Because
0: they are yeah, like spoiled.
2: Exactly. It's the
1: exactly. Association as well. Like they're they're also organizing against us and organizing against legislation that's gonna like transform public safety. And so we need to out-organize them. And I think earlier Tony, you said, you know, we have a lot more people, it's a lot more of us. Yeah. It's right, it's the people power and we really need to like out-organize them. And that's why I'm hope I'm really hopeful and hoping and working towards making sure that these bills pass Um, but that's just one way like there's so many other um, initiatives that that we can be doing people can be cop watching mutual aid there's all of these other um, efforts and legislation is just one part of it that's also important
0: right well see that's why people in your position are doing this work Uh, you know to push people like me out here Dwayne told me something a few weeks ago he was like whether you know it or not you're an activist you know, I don't see myself as that. I just see myself as a man for me. Soakland. I grew up in the rough areas. We did rough things. I did bad things and I, I got out of it. You know, I found a way through, through the madness, through the system. I beat the system. I got out, you know, I'm done with them. So um, that, that's my feelings, but I really am in this fight. This is a horror Because yeah. it's, it's trying to pull that veil off of everybody's face. And, so they can see what's, what's really under, under the surface.
1: some of us like did not choose to fight like we had to. I I really think about a lot of the families who lost someone in this way and that we didn't just say, oh, let me just organize against this because I choose to. Like I did it out of necessity. People are defending (laughs) their fathers, their brothers, their sisters. And our future because we don't know if that could be us or if that could be somebody else that we love and and that's a scary reality that I refuse to adjust to I I refuse to adjust to the fact that I can walk on the street and be killed by the police for just walking um or just you know or that somebody else that looks like me that's black or brown could also experience that um
0: yeah I have three kids and you know these are black and small kids.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I am afraid. I have a teenage daughter. She wants to go out and, and kick with her friends and party and go to these little parties. But I'm in fear. You know, I, I, I don't even want them walking like to the store sometimes. Sometimes I get and feel like, no, nah, I'll go. You know, let's hop in the car and we'll go together. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to feel that fear anymore. Yeah, you know, right. I don't want to feel that. That's the worst kind of fear to know that yeah. you can take my baby's life at any time. And I know people, they fight back by, you know, marching and, and starting these organizations. But I'm in my mind, I'm like, if you were to ever, God forbid ever, but if you were to ever take my kid in any form or fashion, I, I'm going to be the, the last thing I'm going to do is go, I'm going up to the coroner's office. That's where my body's heading, because I wouldn't know how to handle that kind of weight, You know, especially with the babies. The baby was 16. What was her name? Makaya Bryant? Mm-hmm. I believe, yeah, she was uh, yes, yeah, she was 15, I believe. Yeah. That baby hasn't even lived yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. My really? my friend's cousin was 16. They were young.
0: Wasn't yet babies, man. You can, yeah. I'm 42 years old. I'm 42 years old. So now those ages, they are literally babies to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you know,
0: those are babies. Like you're taking our future away.
1: Yeah, and and that's the urgency, and that's why. I refuse to also it's really easy to be to be hopeless because the problem is, is huge right and it's been happening for centuries um but I refuse to feel hopeless because I feel like that's a way that's what they want <laughs> and yeah. that's how they sustain it and that's how they um get you to to not know what power you have and we have people power we have you know we have we have the capacity to change that and so collectively if we all you know are doing it collectively and whether whatever it is in your capacity not everybody has the capacity to do state legislation it's a lot of hard work I totally understand not everybody has the time to join organizations but whether it's making a call to your rep whether it's cop watching and stopping if you can and filming to bear witness um, potentially save someone's life whatever it is that you can do but doing something instead of trying to adjust, because it could be so easy to just adjust and go by, but I don't want to live that life in fear.
0: They always say compliance will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. And in, in in our case, in our community's case, compliance will be rewarded with death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what it feels like. Um, I'm frustrated, to say the least, just from hearing your story about your cousin. Uh, a lot of the brothers I lost over here and some sisters I lost around here, that was our violence against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the this this is a real fight against the people that we are looking to to be our peace officers. That's, I guess that fight is just never ending because they're always going to be needed for some reason. I don't, has defunded police worked out here yet?
1: So I think that's the larger strategy in terms of like, you know, getting to the point where we're not relying on policing, but I think that's why there are already um, other like, actors that can respond to the issues that police are responding because the police have not responded in a good manner. They've responded with killing folks. And so going back to AB 118, like public health crisis, mental health crisis, domestic violence, there's counselors out there that can respond. There's social workers there are people that are experts in this field that are not rooted in violent institutions. And so we need to support them. So with AB 118, it would give them the funding to be able to do that and to um, to work towards that goal where we're not relying on the police. Um, for my cousin's case, I know the gang injunction contributed to, to his criminalization. And we need, you know, <laughs> Our youth need counselors. We don't need so many cops in schools because that's how you get them into juvenile hall. That's how you get them stigmatized. That's how you get them in the system. Once you're in the system, you get criminalized and stigmatized, and that follows you. Juvenile hall is not meant to rehabilitate you, it's a funnel into prison. And, you know, all of these issues, like We have to look at the issues that our our youth are facing, our communities are facing and address it there, like fund housing, give us living wages, give us resources. If you go to other communities that are more affluent, that are more white, you don't see a lot of cops there. So it's possible, right? But they have resources, they have support. They have, you know, they're not penalized in punitive and dehumanizing manners in the way that black and brown students are going, are. are. When I got to college, I saw so much drug use and the police didn't do anything and none of the, right? They never got um, penalized for that versus the kids that I grew up with in Oceanside faced a very different consequences that ultimately harm their future. And for the same things that these college students were doing, but one group was more privileged than the other, and one group faced more harmful consequences. So we, our, our communities should also be faced with the same care and compassion and resources that privileged communities have been experiencing forever. And that's where po-
0: we start to getting to the point where we're not relying on the police. Yeah. It's hard to get around the forced poverty, it feels like. I mean, that's another obstacle that we're, you know, you'd have to face in these areas uh, because it's almost like it was a strategically placed to be this way.
1: Definitely. That's yeah, capitalism works.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very sure that you had my My mother lived here you know, and and raised me here. Uh, But anyway, speaking of all that, how have you been taking care of your mental health since uh, the situation with your cousin happened? And how have you been able to stretch this time and maintain a smile on your face and get up and go to work and and fight for these people? Like, you know, that takes drive. That's not an easy thing to come by. So, you know, how have you been taking care of yourself to get through this?
1: yeah definitely it was um really hard especially in in 2017 2018 like in the initial parts I've just learned how to um navigate my emotions I've accepted that I have an extreme (laughs) these other emotions as a result of this um but what helped me was actually boxing I um I, I did boxing um and it just you know you're able to be aggressive and let your anger out and focus and and be fearless really like that's that's what it taught me it taught me a lot of community organizing lessons when you're sparring and and they're coming at you trying to harm you i'm not going to shy away and i'm going to fight back (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and so so it's you know it taught me that to be humble as well you know now that i i had to encounter a lot of different activists and organizers and leaders you know, heads clash, etc. Like, you, you got to be humble. Um, you got to unleash your power. You got to just be as powerful as you can and not give up. Really, if you're in a fight, if you're in the ring, you do not give up because it's going to go worse for you. And so that's how I feel this is. This is a fight. And, and I'm not giving up because it's my life. It's my life. It's the life of my siblings, the life of my family. I'm a visibly brown person. I'm very connected to communities in poverty. Um, And so I understand that, you know, we have that, that risk of being harmed by the police. Um, So boxing has helped me just any type of physical activity. My art has helped me. I've been able to make a lot of um, art based on these experiences and writing um, has helped me as well. Um, So yeah, I think those two things have, have really been key because this is a lot.
0: You say you do poetry, huh?
1: I write, yeah, I write and I've done poetry, yeah.
0: Are you able to do performing on, on State University property or? You I do any-
1: not, actually. Um, Yeah, I, I haven't. I probably will in the future. Yeah,
0: you I put think- together a poetry slam. Yeah, I should.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. that's a... Uh, that's a release of tension. I write, I write a lot, so that's where a lot of my tension goes out. Because once I get it off my head, then I know it's gone. It's on paper, I can go find it if I need it. But yeah, you should really think about that. Um, we have a poet, uh, a few poets actually, on our toupee team. Uh, one, Her name is Dewana, DW. She's incredible. She, she's one of those firecrackers when it comes to poetry. And now she, her confidence is built so hard now that if you ask her, she'll spill one, right? Just, on a drop of a hat, so yeah, continue, I would love to, to hear some of your work going further later on hopefully find out uh, where your poetry might take you.
1: Yeah, and I've published some things, mostly like writings and articles, um, but the creator the poetry stuff, yeah, so I'll um, I actually have it on, on an Instagram account, I started being more intentional with that, so I started creating like my own art Instagram, um, so I can put it out there for y'all too.
0: Especially with, uh, you know, the coalition that you work with, situation you, you've been through i'd love to hear some of some of that poetry i love those power i love power poetry something, yeah. about, something about the energy in it it's it's serious so yeah i love so
1: hear- I, I have it i'll put it here it's sirenita vagabunda <laughs> sirenita underscore vagabunda um that's the instagram but i do have i i actually i'm starting a website hopefully i I make it better, <laughs> I'm trying to learn what design, but I'm trying to archive a lot of the writings that I've published and I've put, um, I, I made a, a video of like just drawing from those experiences. So because I'm doing legislation and policy, I haven't had as much time to focus on this, but as soon as this policy cycle ends this year in August, after that, I, I really want to put more energy into my art.
0: So you were working so, on like three pieces of legislation, right? Mm-hmm different verses are those there's three different levels to that or yeah what so I've
1: talked mostly about right now is the crisis act so that's funding alternatives to police that's AB 118 we also have police decertification that's Senate bill 2 and so what that one would do is it would remove the the badges of police officers who have committed repeated repetitive acts of uh, murder um abusing their power, essentially. And so ultimately, even if, right now, even if a police officer has been convicted of using deadly force, they can still be a police officer. There's nothing saying that they can be fired. Um, A lot of times, these police officers, they'll just transfer from department to department. So the one that killed my cousin, you know, he had already killed somebody else before, and he was allowed to remain in the force. Right now, he's still a police officer. So yeah so there's other the, um another one who killed um one of our our stop members um nephew for men he was actually convicted in the lawsuit um he was found guilty he was found guilty in the lawsuit but he's still able to be a police officer so if this bill passes it would make it so that police officers like them are not able to work in law enforcement ever, which is important because, you know, everybody has a sort of system of accountability in their profession. Lawyers can get their bar revoked. Doctors, if they do something wrong, they can't be doctors anymore. Police officers have no system of accountability. So Senate Bill 2 would change that. Um, and the other one that I'm working with, the Women's Policy Institute is Assembly Bill 481. And that's one step towards demilitarizing the police. So right now, um, and we saw it last summer where a lot of police were in like, they look like military. They're just heavily militarized with so much equipment that was actually um, given to them from the the wars abroad. And so there were federal programs in place that just gave um, a lot of military equipment to police, and they have they can just get as many as they, as they want. And so they're pretty much treating our communities like war zones. And so this bill, AB 481, would require that all law enforcement agencies receive approval by either the local governing bodies of city council, board of supervisors, um, before applying to receive any type of military equipment. And they also have to do an impact statement, which is gonna describe each piece of military equipment that they have, the cost of using it, the cost of that it requires to train someone to use it, how much money is being spent on this uh, military equipment. Because a lot of times when local officials are trying to make policy decisions, it's really hard to defund the police because we don't even know The money, we don't even know the budget. We don't, they don't disclose any of that information. So, if this law passes, it would require them to disclose that information to the public so that the public can have a better say in how our tax dollars are being used and whether we believe that the police should be receiving military equipment or not.
0: Receiving, (coughs) I'm sorry, receiving military equipment. That's what's happening now
1: yeah
0: so our cops are being armed as militants and yeah. we will be considered insurgents am i wrong <laughs> that that's what it sounds like they love using that word insurgent i don't even know yeah, what that and, means.
1: And we saw it a lot during the uprisings last year in, in terms of the way that the police responded in very militaristic ways yeah. And specifically towards communities that were fighting for Black Lives for justice versus their response at the Capitol when a lot of um, mostly white people, C Trump supporters, were um, invading the Capitol and they did not use they did not respond in the same way that they responded with people fighting for Black Lives.
0: Yeah, my fellow Editos, man, they went crazy out there. <laughs> like, it, was, it was baffling I was like man I I, I know I would have been shot as soon mm-hmm. as I stepped on one stair it would have been 30-40 rounds fired at me just for being there and that that should have showed America exactly where we are and emotionally, that, mentally right?
1: and that's how they use the weapon that's who they use it against so that's why it's important to make sure that we're at least at the very minimum having some type of regulation and accountability and oversight of on that process
0: right i went to a few marches last year uh very peaceful it was during the day you know there wasn't much action but in the evening it got bad And that's i'm glad i wasn't out there for that uh but i was come to find out there were a lot of people from the better areas so to speak coming down here and uh starting these uh situations breaking these windows and these people from other areas are not even from here We were out here, like we're we're out here, we're from here. I seen a lot of people I knew out there, but I knew it wasn't us out there causing any riots. So there was no need for military. They you speaking on them having military equipment is kind of bothersome. I don't know how anybody else feels, but I am very disturbed at the fact that our peace officers are running around with peace offerings.
1: yeah, so, so you got to see So what you can do in your capacity if you can contact your rep and tell them to support AB 481, AB 118, and Senate Bill 2 that, you know- other yeah. huh? yeah, This is California, this is all California, huh? Yeah, this is gonna impact all the state of California because it would be a state law. But the police are against it, of course. they Any change that you make in policing, they're, they're gonna be against it. Um, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. So us uh, so as just the people need to uh, organize them and, you know, our lives are at stake.
0: How your conversations been with uh, the police officers or just, you know, police in general? Have you had any of those conversations?
1: I personally have not. Um, uh, yeah, I have not. It's very, I mean, I, they're, they're not, they don't have the same values. You know i am rooted in justice i'm rooted in uh, humanity of um, black and brown people and they are not so it's hard to have a conversation when you don't have the same values
0: and you feel like it would be a condescending conversation yeah. i mean that's how i feel uh, i've talked to a few few cops I mean, about
1: have, have said anything positive about my cousin or about any of the victims of the, that, that I have like, whose families I have organized with. No remorse, they sustained, it was justified. So if you do not even see that there's a problem, how are we going to have this conversation? They don't believe there's a problem. They believe mm. that shooting someone 16 times, Jonathan Coronel 28 times, Sergio Wick is justified.
0: Yeah, somebody's already incapacitated after one or two shots. Like, it, it, really, like, you hit me with one and I'm going down. I don't I don't know about everybody else being Superman or Superwoman around here, but 16 we'll times seems a little... <laughs> yeah, that's just 16, 28, uh, brother in New York got hit, what, 60-something times? Like,
1: that's what excessive. are you...
0: Yeah, that's excessive. Terribly excessive. So, I'm, I'm with you in the fight. <laughs> I wish there was more I can do. I wish I could put together my own team of agents and go out here and just have my own form of government and do what I do. But, you know, that's, that's a long time coming, but we definitely need more people like you out here. Uh, We have a few of those coalitions out here, I believe. I don't know them firsthand. Um, But what I'm going to start doing is going to these uh, city board meetings, Mm -hmm. and start figuring out, you know, what's really going on. I've always been, uh, I'm not going to say I've been in fear. I just, Thought I wouldn't fit there. But uh, after working this job for the last four years, I need to hear what's going on. I need to know what you guys are doing because everything you do is affecting me.
1: Exactly. And that's how you have to approach it. It's impacting your daily lives. And a lot of us are not just impacted, but we're targets by these policies and harmed. And our tax dollars are paying for them. So we need to show up.
0: Yeah, you you saying, like, that would be nice for the, our government to show us what our tax dollars are doing. Give us an update every month. You know, just throw it on the news and give us an update. Okay, this, this portion of your money went here. This portion of your money went here. I don't know where these taxes go.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I'm saying with the military equipment, our tax dollars are paying for it, and we don't know how much is being spent on them. So... Hopefully, if this passes, we will get access to that information. But even then, we have to pass legislation to hold the police accountable to being transparent in how they're spending our money.
0: Ooh, uh, Anya had a good question. Uh, what can we do today to help support AB 12? Like, is there somewhere where we could sign something, or is there? So, eventually,
1: a- um, once we get right now, um, so AB. AB 481, and there's different aspects. So pretty soon we're gonna need folks to contact the representatives. So what you can do right now is spread the word and educate about these laws and get people to start paying attention to them. So I can definitely send you Tony um, some graphics and more of the fact sheets, but the biggest part right now is educating folks, making sure that they're um, paying attention to these, these state bills. And pretty soon, we're going to be asking folks to start contacting the representatives once we get to a floor vote. So once the, the assembly members and the senators are going to be able to actually vote on them, we're going to need people to contact their reps and um, encourage them to vote in, in our favor.
0: Uh, I was just asking my wife, like, who, who are the representatives?
1: You can find their representative um, online. It's Find My Rep. Um, and so it'll either be, it has to go through the assembly and also, um, the Senate in California. So Is that I, I don't know what district you're in, but there's, if you go to, okay. um, find your representative um, dot legislator dot, dot gov. So you can just <laughs> type in your address. I know even, even that, they make it hard. right? But I know, right in your address and you'll find your representative and you can always contact them and encourage them to vote for these specific bills so it's findyourrep.legislature.cat.gov
0: bills 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 <laughs> oh, you're pretty busy i noticed. know this i know this legislation is long mm-hmm. it's very drawn out um and, how long does it normally take for a bill to pass?
1: So um, Senate Bill 2 was um, actually started last year and it did not even make it to a floor vote. So hopefully this year it makes it to the floor vote. Um, and it, can t- it It really depends um, on... Really, how much I would say how much pressure the legislature, the senators, and the assembly members feel in how important this is, but also how how much the community mobilizes for it. Um, I mean, AB 392 was the first time somebody addressed policing and changed the standard of policing since the 1800s. Nobody had touched that since the 1800s. It was Dr. Shirley Weber who had the courage to to do something and, and to you know set that. Catalyze that. that, And after that, more legislation came out. But it really depends on, um, I would say, how the community mobilizes, how responsive they are. And, yeah, we just got to organize.
0: That's our biggest issue in uh, these rural cities or, so to speak, urban cities is uh, we're already fighting each other. So getting together seems like a lost topic. Uh, in a lot of areas, um, there are a lot of people that are willing to jump into the fight. But realistically, you know, just me working in these schools, you can see if families are torn, uh, children are growing up without families. You know, there's a lot of I hate calling the students newcomers, but our Latino students, I don't like calling them. New, I, I really don't like that name. So, uh, but a lot of my my Latino students when they get here, they came here without their parents. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's a lot of this is just. Social media driving our youth and uh, and our families apart. Uh, so um, I think that's a beautiful sentiment, but it's going to be a hard mountain to climb. Uh, you know, and I, I hope we can get there one day. And you know, yeah. continue.
1: We just got to focus on, as well as what we can do within our capacity, because when you look at the larger scope of the problem, it's like said, it's immense, it's huge. But all of us working, like all of us doing our part, adds up. And even raising the way you raise and you parent your children, like with different types of values, like there's so much different things that we can do. Um, but whatever it is that's in your capacity is is, an, is enough, really. <laughs>
0: it's, it's... This, this conversation is really, I'm gonna open up the floor. Anya, uh, Ro, you got anything you wanna add before we uh, give her, her 60 seconds of promo? Come off the mic if anyone has anything to
2: say. I just want to tell her thank you. Um, And also that I'm praying for her because the situation that she had to go through with her cousin is something that, you know, it's hard. So I'm praying for you and, you know, keep fighting because it isn't for nothing. It'll get better one day. Thank you. I appreciate
1: that.
0: I'm saying you telling me that. Like I'm really, I was really upset. Like that's why I had to go off the camera for a minute because I was my blood was boiling. Yeah. So, but yeah. right here, like uh Rose said, uh, what advice do you have for our listeners, young and old, who may be feeling, you know, some kind of way about this? They're hope, they're down, they're hopeless. What can you give them? I mean, it's it's normal. It's
1: um even it could I I would say it's sometimes by design for us to feel hopeless because that's a way to disempower us, but we have to understand that when we're coming from oppression, when we're coming from backgrounds that have been oppressed, whether through race, gender, sexuality, poverty, and, you know, we're still here. Our existence is resistance. Like I feel, despite the obstacles, and we're still here, standing. Like our existence is resistance, and it's a testament of our power. And we just have to remember, uh, remind ourselves of our power, and never forget that. Because I do believe that the way that you you give up your power is by believing that you don't have any. And we have agency. We all of us do. And so, for those who feel hopeless, you know remember that just you know, even being here, despite everything, you're, that's a testament of your resilience and your power. And so don't be afraid to tap into that power, ask for help. It's not bad to ask for help. We have to do this collectively. We can't do this on our own. Um, so ask for help and seek out community and support community.
0: Once again, Ms. Rossell, thank you for joining us this evening and uh, sharing a space with us giving us some really solid information and just a sliver of hope that, you know, there is change because of people like you out there putting in the real work and putting in the hard work against these troubling times. Another thing I want to give you my condolences to your family, but for the loss of your cousin, I'm baffled and disturbed by the manner it happened. And I just say a light and love to you and your family. And, and I hope you guys are, you know, grieving properly together as a family and keeping that love alive. Um, Right now, I'm going to give you a shot to promote yourself. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. The floor is yours. Let people know where they can find you. IG, YouTube, legislators.com. You know, yeah. The floor is yours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so if you want to find out more about the, um, my cousin's case and the organizing and supporting that and other families, our Instagram is JC underscore Fight Club. Um, so you can follow that one for more updates. And we also have, um, the stop coalition, which is stop CA as the Instagram. Um, I'm relentless underscore If you just want to follow me <laughs> and then my art is Sirenita underscore vagabunda. So it's like vagabond mermaid. Um, and that I have a lot of my, um, the articles I wrote for my cousin and some of the um, the work I've done that's stemming from that. So you can find me there.
0: Once again, thank you. It was an honor to have you, Ms. Moore. Ro, appreciate you bringing her in. Anya, I appreciate you being here. To everybody out there listening, I'm your host, Tony Siona. You can catch us on We the Scenario podcast or Instagram. Also at Mentoring on the Fly. You can also catch us at We Lead Ours. See us on Spotify, YouTube, well, hear us rather on Spotify. You can catch us on YouTube as well as uh, any Anchor podcast and Apple podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Tony Siona. This is We the Scenario. Ms. Rocio, please enjoy your life and hope to see you soon.
2: Good
0: Everybody day. else, good night.
2: Good night.